Welcome to the podcast ministry of Grace Anglican Church in Grove City, Pennsylvania. It is our hope to proclaim the historic faith and the dazzling grace of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Shortly after Wendy and I were married, we went down to South America to serve as missionaries to street children. First, we spent some time in Brazil, where we underwent some training and gained some experience, went to the streets, worked with kids who had come off of the streets. And then it was off to the long-term call, which was Bogota, Colombia, where we were to serve on a farm outside of the city that cared for approximately 15 former street children and teenagers. We were to be house parents. But part of our role was also to continue to go into the city to minister to those who were still there. It was just a few days after we had arrived that we were taken to a place deep into the heart of the city, a place called El Cartucho. El Cartucho was a section of Bogota where the Colombian government had basically thrown up its hands, given up, removed all police authority, and just let everything run wild. And boy, did it ever. Violence, drug trafficking, decay, stench, addiction, everything was just right out in the open in this area of the city. Just, if you name it, it was there. It was beyond anything I had experienced before or since. And mind you, I grew up in McKeesport. But here, Wendy and I were young 24-year-old Americans, and we were supposed to go into El Cartucho to minister to the children who lived there. It seemed insane. It still does. There are only two words that explain why we were able to go in there, and more importantly, why we were able to get out. Two words. And I know what you're thinking, it's not machine gun, nor is it thermal detonator. Star Wars, there you go. The two words were the name of a man named Julian Pereira. Julian had a mistakable, unmistakable authority. He had the power to go anywhere in there. I think he could go places where no one else probably in the entire country could go. And believe me, he took us there. We went into the very belly of El Cartucho. We were in people's shacks. We were in tunnels. We were in back alleys. And and the whole time, it was like he had a bubble around him. And as long as we were in that bubble, we were okay. And so I was constantly looking for two people. Where's Wendy? Where's Julian? Where did he get this authority, this power? He had no money. He carried no weapon, just some bread and some juice for the hungry. Yet he had the undeniable authority. You know, the word authority has uh, Latin roots meaning out of the original stuff. It's where we get our word author, the creator of the original. Julian was a Colombian man cut out of the original stuff. 
He had grown up in the streets. And he had lived in El Cartucho for years and years as an addict. Until one day he encountered the freeing power of Jesus Christ. Who rescued him out of addiction. Out of El Cartucho. And then sent him back into El Cartucho. With a powerful ministry to those still there. He is responsible for bringing out dozens of kids out of that place. But in there, he had an undeniable authority. And I figured if I was going to be in there, it better be with him. So I never went in once without him right in front of me. I thought of Julian as I contemplated our gospel reading from Mark. Because the clear overarching theme in our passage this evening is that of authority. We are here in the very beginning of Mark's gospel. As we heard last week, Jesus has just called his first four disciples there beside the Sea of Galilee as those four fishermen left their nets and their boats and they followed him. And now as Jesus makes his way to the nearby town of Capernaum to begin his public ministry, Mark would have us to know that this Jesus of Nazareth is the one with ultimate power and authority. In this reading, we see this authority expressed in two main ways. His authority in his teaching and his authority over the unclean spirit. So I'd like to look at these two uh, with you this evening. His authority in his teaching and his authority over the demonic. First in his teaching. So we pick up and we read. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, Mark doesn't give us the content of Jesus' sermon on that particular morning. But he does give us the reaction of those listening. Over my years as a headmaster, I've been in plenty of classrooms, and I've observed my fair share of teachers' teaching. I've seen classrooms full of students doing anything but listening to their teacher. You've probably been in those classrooms. And I've witnessed classrooms full of enraptured students soaking up every word. I hope you've been in some of those classrooms. That's what I picture in this group in the synagogue there. Eyes fixated and wide. Minds stimulated, neurons firing, and most importantly, hearts aglow set on fire as Jesus speaks. And the reaction says it all. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as authority and not as the, with authority with, and not as the scribes. The scribes were the learned, the prestigious. They were the ones for whom we all stood when they entered the room. They studied the law, the Torah. They were the experts capable of handling various disputes amongst the law and, 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 and how people were to live, how you are to please God. But the scribe's authority is a derived authority at best. The scribe says, thus says Moses, or thus says Isaiah, 
Or this says Rabbi so-and-so about Moses. Or thus says Rabbi so-and-so about Rabbi so-and-so about Isaiah. A derived authority. At worst, as they were, as Jesus called them, blind guides who heaped heavy rule upon heavy rule upon heavy rule upon the people while neglecting the weightier matters of justice and mercy and love and righteousness. But then onto the scene comes Jesus of Nazareth, who teaches not with a derived authority, you see, but, but as the author himself. Who teaches not with the words of others, but, but rather with truly, truly, I say to you. Who issues forth from his lips not words of death, but the piercing, life-giving words of God. As one commentator put it, other teachers draw more or less pure water from cisterns. Jesus himself is the well of water from which all may draw. Jesus is the well from which all may draw. That elicits my first encouragement for us today. I pray that we will go to him as teacher again and again and again. That we will draw long drafts of living water from his word so that our minds are transformed and our hearts transfixed by his truth. That amongst the competing cacophony of voices calling for our attention, and they're everywhere, we may above all else Do as the collect says, that we might read, mark, learn, inwardly digest his authoritative teaching. Building our lives upon that sure foundation that will not fail. For he is and remains the authoritative teacher. But Jesus' authority isn't limited to his words. It's also expressed in his deeds. I'm not exactly sure when in the service the disruption took place, uh, but it must have been quite the scene. A man who's either already there or or comes striding into the service suddenly cries out. We're told he's a man with an unclean spirit. We aren't told how it came to be. We aren't told when he came to be afflicted by this demon. You know, demons, this whole talk can make us uncomfortable, can't it? It can be a little scary. Not in our normal vernacular. And I don't intend to spend a lot of time talking about unclean spirits. But I am compelled to make a few points to you this evening. First, Mark is very clear that this man is in fact held in bondage to something from the spiritual realm that has set itself in opposition to God. Which is to say, this is not simply something physical or merely psychological. The ancients knew the distinction between illnesses and uh, spiritual affliction. Second, 
Though we as modern Westerners tend not to acknowledge or, or we really would prefer to explain away the demonic, the scriptures are quite clear that there are principalities and powers of wickedness that seek to undo and wreck us as human beings. And if you don't believe me, you just need to look a little bit at the history of the 20th century and see the evil and the violence wrought and the influence that is beyond just human fallenness. The church in other parts of the world reckon and know this far better than we do here in the, in the West. I also think C.S. Lewis is helpful for us here when he writes in the preface of the screw tape letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about devils, fall into about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I think he puts it uh, to look for a devil underneath every teapot or something classical Lewis like that. And he writes, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. This man who cries out in the synagogue is neither a materialist nor a magician, but rather he is one engulfed in deep darkness. This is what we need to see. You know, that phrase, he's a man with an unclean spirit, that preposition can also be translated a man in an unclean spirit. As if his human self is immersed in a filthy flood from which there is no escape. He's in over his head. He's drowning. There seems no escape. Except that as we shall see, Jesus also has authority over the prisoner-making forces of Satan. So the man comes into the presence of Jesus and the spirit within him cries out, interrupting the whole service. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Can you pick up on the mocking? Bit of challenge? We have accounts of various religious leaders or magicians who endeavor to deal with the demonics. Sometimes they might use long, drawn-out, precise incantations. Or perhaps burning certain substances. Or use magical objects. But note, Jesus doesn't employ any of that. He merely speaks. And first he says, be silent. The Greek can be translated, be muzzled. As if he's dealing with a dangerous beast that is snapping and raving and must be stopped. And then he simply says, come out of him. Again, no magic spells, no magic ring, no burning of special oils, just the calm, authoritative speech of the light who came to dispel the works of darkness. And the unclean spirit, you see, has no option 
but to leave. And with a shriek and a last, last gasp, he, he, he leaves. And hallelujah, the captive man is set free. And for the second time, the crowd is astonished. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, even they obey him. What is this? It's well worth noting how Jesus wields his authority here. Probably not how I would wield the authority that I, if I had this authority. You see, he doesn't use it for self-aggrandizement or for personal gain or worldly riches or creaturely comfort or power mongering. But he always uses his authority to free the captive, to set loose the prisoner, which is tremendous news for us this evening. You know, we like to think of ourselves as masters of our own fate, captains of our own ships, determiners of our own future, who chart our courses through life. That with enough hard work and determination, we can, with discipline, forge a path of flourishing and a life of happiness. But the reality is we are not as free, nor are we as in control as we think we are. We may not be in the grip of an unclean spirit, but some of us in this room have addictions that our willpower just can't disentangle. Others have illnesses that we didn't anticipate, and frankly, the doctors can't solve. Others have anxieties and worries that leave our stomachs in knots and our sleep in shambles. Others have fears that people have told us are irrational, but that doesn't stop them from haunting our dreams. I still, 25 years after I've left Grove City College, I still have the classic dream that I am in finals week and have forgotten to go to two classes the entire semester and then realize I'm done. I had one the other night. It's been 25 years. I've got my diploma. It's right there. I still have them. Others have thoughts of insecurity and deep self-doubt that seem to pop up at the most inopportune times. Some of us have hurts that we really do want to forgive and let go of, but they, they just keep on circling back. Others have grief that, that come like waves that just kind of seem to crash upon us. And every single one of us has a sinful nature that, try as we might, we just cannot tame. And like the Apostle Paul, we are ones who at times, we just don't understand our own actions. For the, the good we want to do, we don't do, and the evil we do not want to do, we do. And so we find anger creeping in, and jealousy rearing up, and lust that we just can't seem to put down and the tongue that runs wild with gossip. And so we say, wretched man am I like the Apostle Paul, or wretched woman am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Indeed, because of Jesus, none of these things, addictions, illnesses, anxieties, fears, hurts, insecurities, grief, our failures, our sins, or evil spirits, or even death have the final word over our lives. For the authoritative Holy One of God has come to set us free, to make us whole, to restore us, to forgive us, to destroy the works of the devil. But the way he brings this about is, is totally unexpected. Because it's not through the grand display of his authority and power, but rather through the ultimate demonstration of his self-giving love as he lays aside his authority and he goes to the cross in the place of the sinful and the broken. People like me and people like you. You know, we get some foreshadowing language of this in verses 25 and 26 of our passage. We read, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Mark uses almost the exact same words to describe Jesus' death. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, or his spirit went out of him. Because at the cross, Jesus is taking on the forces of evil and wickedness that rebel against God. Whether it's satanic forces or, or our own sin. But you see, he doesn't do it by casting it out, but by taking it upon and absorbing it into himself. Because it was the only way that he could deal with sin and evil without destroying sinful people. Is to take it into himself. And so the one who is the greatest teacher upon the cross opens not his mouth. And the one who can cast out demons with a word allows evil to have its way with him. And so he suffers intensely and silently. And he takes it into his own body. As one New Testament scholar has written, Jesus has joined in the struggle against forces of evil and destruction there on the cross. Forces that are like the deep, dark, cruel sea pouring in on top of frightened and helpless travelers, carrying them where they do not want to go. And the demons had their final shriek at him as he hung on the cross, challenging and mocking him for the last time about the validity of his authority. But on the cross, he completed the healing work that he had begun in the synagogue. He completes it when he cries out with a loud voice and his spirit departs his body. And his spirit departs not because it is cast out, but because it is given, he willingly gives it up. And so Jesus offers the final sacrifice as he takes your sin and he takes my sin and he puts it in his body and he buries it in the grave. So that sin and death and evil no longer have a claim over you. But he does. For on the third day he rose victoriously, 
And he now reigns seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority and power. And from his throne, he declares his final, definitive word of his love over our lives. Such that to the addict, like Julian, he's able to speak freedom. And to the anxious, he declares the peace that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and your mind, for he is in control. He really is. To the fearful, he declares that there is nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that can separate you from his love. To the one filled with insecurity and self-doubt, he reminds you that you were bought with a price. His precious blood shed for you upon the cross and you are his. To the grieving, he says he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he shall at one day wipe every tear from every eye. To the suffering, he says, I am Emmanuel, God with you, and I am near to you. To the dying, he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die, and yet though he die, yet shall he live once again. And to the repentant sinner, he proclaims, you are forgiven to the very bottom. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you, and you are with me forever. My friends, I don't imagine you'll be walking through El Cartucho anytime soon. In fact, it's now been torn down and turned into a park. But as our colleague says, we are set in the midst of many dangers and we do have this frail nature and we get into situations where we're in over our heads. But may you know that you have an authoritative, powerful guide, even Jesus Christ, who has rescued you, who holds you secure, who will not ever leave you, for you are eternally safe in his bubble. So let us walk with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.